All right, everybody, welcome to episode 27 of the In the Flat podcast. I'm your host, Tony Kill, joined again by Jordan Schultz and Ben Parker. So, how are you guys doing today? Had a good week? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Can't complain. All right. We're still here. So, you know, we're still here doing the podcast. Stuff to get complain. Um, so, let's jump into some news. Uh, let's first jump into, you know, hate to start off this way, but there's some sad news. Uh, obviously, um, the news of doing. Haskins, the former Ohio State quarterback, um, his death, you know, hit a few days ago, were um, you know, 24 years old, and had a whole life in front of him, but uh, got in an accident where a, a car, I don't really know all the details, I'm not sure if you guys have seen any additional details, but a car apparently hit him, it looks like he was jogging maybe near the freeway area, um, this is a sad story all around, and you know, obviously there's been a lot of back and forth between the media and players on, um, you know, talking about his success as a player and related to his death, but we're definitely not here to do that. I think we're here just to, you know, mourn the loss of a, of a what a great player it seems to be talking, you know, listening to all the interviews, the people that were around him, just a, just a great person overall that um, did a lot of great things, did a lot of stuff in the community, um, seemed to be a good family person. So, you know, definitely hate to see anybody die, especially someone that young. So, any thoughts from you guys on um, Dwayne Haskins there? No, I'm just sad to see. Um, probably one of the best quarterbacks in my lifetime. Um, so, especially in college. So, just sad to see. I'm one year older than him, and uh, it's uh, kind of like hard to hear a 24-year-old pass away. So. Yeah, not for sure. Any thoughts from you, Ben? Oh, it's sad to see somebody go so young. Um, and you know, we, none of us, none of us is um, unacquainted with watching that happen, whether it's somebody, you know, a kid die of cancer, or or whether it's a tragedy like this. Uh, you hate to see it happen to anybody, but uh, Tony, like you said, we keep hearing um, it's not general things that people are just saying he was a nice guy. There's a lot of people speaking up and talking about specific things yeah. that he did to make their life better. And you know, you don't always see that from 24-year-olds or from 20-year-olds. Uh, sometimes they can be a little self-centered. He, he does not appear to have been that kind of person at all, which, uh, you know, makes it even sadder, really. Uh, you know, the world's a, a worse place without him. So, um, you know, thoughts and prayers out to the family. And, um, you know, we're all going to miss him. We would miss anybody who passed away that we knew so young. But uh, definitely for the Haskins family, um, thoughts and prayers go out. Definitely thoughts and prayers. And, you know, from a never point of view, just from a football perspective, I was really hoping to get to see him in Pittsburgh and get that good coaching from um, that great coaching staff and see what he could do. Cause he definitely showed a skill set in Ohio State. And I think sometimes you get thrown into some situations that are not good for a young quarterback. You've seen it with a lot of young quarterbacks that are really, you know, just put it thrown into the wrong situation, maybe a bad offensive line, bad coaching. And, you know, career could take a certain trajectory. I was really hoping to see how we did at Pittsburgh. So, um, but no, he, you know, he definitely looked back as good human, great college football player. So, you know, he definitely left his legacy there. And I think, you know, I definitely see some things that Ohio State will be honoring him throughout the year. So definitely look forward to seeing that. All right. I've looked to some other news. Um, let's talk about the Clemson spring game. Um, you know, obviously coming in, I think the biggest question mark for Clemson was the quarterback battle between um, 
obviously DJ and then the new freshman, Cade Klublik. Um, So DJ still seems to be struggling. And um, Cade, you know, has some good moments, but still appears to be like the freshman that he is. He still has a lot to learn and is not quite ready for prime time yet. You know, honestly, from my perspective, I see this going where DJ is going to continue to start to probably beat teams in front of them that they can beat just with the talent they have. And then it's going to get to the fact they're going to play their name in November. And I think that's when they're going to, you know, throw Kate out there to try to get the win. I still see, I don't see the improvement from the offensive line from Clemson. And I don't see the improvement from DJ. They have some good talent on the wide receiver guards, but if they can't get the ball, they can't get the protection. It's going to be make it very difficult. It's going to put a lot more pressure on that running game to do things. So I don't know. What, what, what did you guys see? Jordan, what did you see in the, in the Clemson spring game? Yeah. I, like you just said, like, they just look kind of not the Clemson we're used to. And DJ didn't make the steps this offseason to, I think, merit him to be that starter the whole season. Um, and and I, I think DJ is kind of lucky if K was more was a sophomore and had a little more skill. Um, he would probably be the starter going into the season. But with him being a freshman, I know Devil Sweeney's over here saying that uh, he's a freshman. We don't want to push him too early. Um, so, and so, I mean, we could see DJ pick it up this year and play the best season, you know, play like he did back in the two games when Trevor Lawrence was out. So um, it could be good for him, but it also could be bad because Cade could start, like you said, as early as Notre Dame. Yeah. I kind of think back to that year where Trevor Lawrence was a freshman and they, had the same issue where they had a quarterback that was a good runner because I couldn't throw the ball very well. And after four games or so, they threw Trevor Lawrence in and he took it from there. I kind of see maybe something similar happening. I just don't know if Kate Kate seems like a really talented quarterback. I just don't know if he has the same skill set as Trevor Lawrence to jump right in there. And especially if he were to start in Notre Dame, that's at Notre Dame in prime time and the lights. That's going to be a tough game to get your first start. I mean, DJ did it. They, they actually put up a lot of points if they lost the game. But I don't know, Ben, any, any thoughts on this one? You guys are all over it. You hate to put too much onto a spring game. But when we've when it backs up everything we saw last year in 2021 and you're still seeing the same problems, you know, I think everybody in Clemson Town loves DJ, wants him to win that starting job, wants him to be the guy that, that everybody thought he was going to be uh, heading into last season. But we haven't seen that. And we continue to see him struggle with just kind of normal passes out to the flat, um, not even being challenged in, 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 with pressure at the moment. We've seen him struggle deep. Um, we've seen him, seen him struggle to kind of read the defenses. And and there are still issues there on the Clemson offense. The offensive line in the spring game, they were starting some walk-ons on both sides of, of the spring game. So there's issues there. That was causing problems for the quarterbacks. We're still not sure that this year's wide receiving core is as talented or as experienced as what we've seen from Clemson over the past few seasons. But even taking all of that into account, both quarterbacks still struggled, and, and particularly DJ, the one you're hoping to see a lot from, you didn't see anything in the spring game that was any better than what we saw last year coming off of a disappointing season. So, yeah, he could figure it out, and certainly the talent is there. But it's not looking too good. And, and Tony, I think you're right. Uh, Dabo Sweeney has been uh, usually wanting to start the veteran quarterback, even if the backup was more talented. And we've seen two times where that was the case, uh, where the backup was decidedly more talented, but he wanted this the, the more experienced guy starting the year. And at some point during the season, he might pull the trigger on it. But again, 
is okay, Bobnick, the guy who's talented enough midseason to, to kind of step in, even if DJ is struggling. I, I'm not sure, but I think at some point during the season, if DJ is struggling, we're going to see Klubnik out there getting some major playing time. I don't think there's any question about it. Yeah, you know, and I, I think the one strength of their team is the defensive line is a veteran unit, seems to be playing pretty well. And so I think it may hide a lot of those deficiencies early in the year against lesser opponents. But when you get into the meet, I don't know if there really is a meet of the ACC schedule. We'll talk about ACC later today, but um, – you know, that's why I say it probably could be circling another Dame game. I, I just don't, you know, they're going to probably make sure they have their best foot forward in that game. But, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I just don't know. I, I know, um, I don't know if you guys saw it, it's already been deleted by DJ's dad. He's, he has a another son, one of the top-ranked players coming up here in 2023. is tight end or a D-line D player. Um, they, you know, they're, they're figuring out his position, but he seems pretty mad about the whole situation. He, he, he sent some tweets out, you know, blaming Clemson for not reaching out to his son. Did they even want his other son? Said that this whole thing is going downhill in Clemson with his current son. So you feel bad for DJ, though, with his dad, you know, saying that kind of stuff. And you're kind of like in the middle as his son because, you know, you don't want to – that could probably just hurt your job even more. Like if you – more pressure on you to perform, you know. So – We'll be interested to kind of watch this as it progresses out the year because if, if the quarterback situation is not right, it's going to be a really tough year for Clemson. And they're going to have a, you know, it was tough last year. They were able to win 10 games. That's just because the ACC is not tough. And and this year they did play Notre Dame. They did play South Carolina, which is much approved. So it might be a tougher road ahead for them. Um, okay, let's speaking of um, Clemson, I saw a uh, Dabo Sweeney interview on ESPN when he talked about the transfer portal NIL. And so I wanted to kind of read some of his thoughts here. We could talk about it. So first on the transfer portal, I thought this is interesting because we all mentioned that there's offensive line struggles and there's, there's areas of opportunity they really need to get better players for. Um, so they asked him, you know, has your chance, stance changed on this transfer portal? Here's his comments. Uh, my transfer portal is right there in the locker room because if I'm constantly going out every year and adding guys from the transfer portal, I'm telling all those guys in that locker room that I don't believe in them. And I don't think they can play. We're also not doing our job as coaches and recruiters. If you're bringing in a bunch of transfers, we're not going to build our roster on transfers. Again, if we're having to use the transfer portal to help build our roster, that means we're missing our, our kids and we're no longer signing the best of the best out there. I don't see that coming. We'll have to use it, but only to fill a gap. There's nobody on the planet that won't have to use it. Just like this year, we're down one in the offensive line and we need to find a guy. So we're after looking for offensive linemen right now. I thought it was interesting, but he kind of saved himself a little bit at the end of the offensive line comment, but he keeps going back to the fact that he doesn't need to – everybody uses a transfer portal. There's not a team that is not using it to fill in holes. And like he's saying, like, we should have holes. Our transfer portal is right there in the locker room. Well, listen, you got to make sure you're 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 good. You, you can't just depend on freshmen to play or people are not quite ready. You know, Alabama, Georgia, everybody's doing it. They're winning national championships. So if you want to continue to win and compete for national championships, you have to use a transfer portal. I just think he has some outdated thinking here on that piece. So before I jump into his next comments, any any thoughts from any of you guys on this one? No, I think he needs to join everybody else. I think he needs to he needs to get in the mindset that transfer portal is another recruiting method method. Um, 
a lot of these transfer portal players are four or five star recruits that don't get playing time at the schools that they picked. So, I mean, it's basically another time to recruit. Yeah, I think of Jamison Williams last year. I mean, he is better than a lot most wide receivers that were on most rosters. So if you can't use him, it's not it's slap your face your players. You're just as a coach, you need to put the best people forward to, to work your program. And if the people you're bringing, if the, your locker room doesn't like the fact that they need to compete, do it, or you don't have the right people in the locker room. That's, that's my thinking. I don't know. Um, let's talk about his NIL comments. So uh, this is the question I think he had. So do you understand what people say? Well, coaches like Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban are making the $10 million range. Why should the athletes be able to profit even before they get on campus? Here's his response. Well, Nick Saban is 70 years old. I'm 52 years old. None of us set markets on what we do. We live in a capitalist society. The head of Delta probably makes a lot more than the people who are checking your baggage in, but those people are vital as anyone. None of us set market on what we do. It's a free market we live in and anything. It's just that our jobs are so visible, so public. I can tell you this, none of us got into coaching to make money, but I, I don't apologize for being successful. I don't understand how he still gets recruits and he makes comments like this. It just boggles my mind because they just got a, a high level four star quarterback this week, uh, even after these comments. Um, I was kind of like thrown off by him saying this, like, you know, he's comparing the players as baggage handlers and he's the CEO of a company. I mean, I, baggage handlers are usually one of the lower paid people in that in the company, right? So Hey, you're, I mean, these guys, like, I would say Trevor Lawrence is not a baggage handler. He's in there winning you national championships. So I, I just think this comment is this, you're not thinking. And then I also think with the, I think in a race, in a race that we're in, world that we're in today, you're saying this and the majority of players are black, majority of CEO level coaches and admins are white. I just don't think this, I, if this would rub me the wrong way if I'm reading it as a recruit and Nobody's really batting eye the fact that he's making these comments. I don't know if you, Ben, what do you think? My off base here is, I just feel like he's just way, way out of line with some of these comments. He's not thinking through. He just, he thinks in a really old school mentality that I think is eventually going to catch up to him if it's not already with the last season happening. We could slice this a million different ways. I'll keep it quick. I'm going to say some things that are less than uh, satisfactory about Dabo Sweeney. That doesn't change the fact that he's still an excellent head coach and, and that he still cares about his players a lot. I'll start off with this. No, nobody in football has tried harder to have a family-friendly environment that protects its players and gives them a good atmosphere to play in than Dabo Sweeney and Clemson over the past 10 to 15 years. Now, there's some other programs who have done just as well with that, but that has been his focus. He's been able to do it, but I think it's getting harder to do. There are more and more avenues and ways for people to take your players away. And at some point, he's going to have to adjust to this, whether he likes it or not. So, uh, you know, he, he can try to take the high ground here and, and he can try to, to you know, play the good guy here. But at the end of the day, a lot of his own players are very much in favor of the things that he is against. They like the idea that they can transfer out if they want to and play somewhere else. They like the idea that they can make a lot of money and still play college football. They like that a lot. And so Dabo Sweeney, you know, disregard the press and the media, his own players are, are not going to be overly happy with this kind of, of, of direction that he's continuing to push in. He's going to have to change. Nick Saban didn't like high-speed offenses, but Saban had to do it. 
Mike Krzyzewski didn't like one and dones, but he had to do it. Tom Coughlin in the NFL didn't like that he couldn't be as strict with his players and get top performances out of them. He had to adjust when he got to the Giants. The, the great coaches all do. He will. He's going to get a little bit of tarnish through this process, and, and he's trying to come from a good place here because he really does care about his players. But, Tony, I think you're right. A lot, a lot of the things that he's saying are a lot less than, than, than a good look for him for Clemson University, and he's going to have to change off of that. Yeah, no, I think – and I think he, you know, from talking to his players, they always have his back and they and they hear a different side. But I think when the media – I don't know if he just needs some Nick Saban media training or something, but he, he just says – he puts his foot in his mouth a lot with somebody's comments, and they always come back to bite him. Uh, there's been a lot of things where he just goes against what the players believe in. And, I mean, this is going to catch up to him. I mean, like you said, Nick Saban is the biggest example. He hates some this new age stuff, but guess what? He's doing it. He'll do whatever he has to do to win. And that's what Dave Sweeney has to learn, you know, for sure. You have to. And, and one final point, I, as far as I know, the, the local media there in Clemson pretty much – is in support of Dabo. It's the national media that he kind of tends to have conflicts with. Yeah. And a lot of other college towns, that's really not even the case. So a lot of times even the local media is giving you a lot of flack. So it, it may be that Dabo feels a little freer to talk about these things locally, but then once they start hitting the national airwaves, that's when the conflict starts to come up and you realize, okay, maybe maybe I shouldn't have said it that way. That wasn't the best look for us. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think he should just leave it simple like hey what about a transfer i said hey we'll take a transfer if it if it makes our team better leave it at that why do you have to say right. more just leave it at that <laughs> and it's like nil it's like yeah it's a changing world well, you know we'll definitely we're examining how where we fit in now that there you're done i mean i do come from a comms background but it's not that hard to like just think of a pr perspective of things you should say and just leave it pretty broad but he just goes into these great details and just like gets himself in trouble so i don't know um all right, so another story, um, JT Daniels is transferred to West Virginia. You know, I thought this was a strange career arc he's had. I mean, he started off as like the, in the SI cover in high school as it could be the next big thing. He started at USC as a freshman, did had some pretty good games as well, but then got injured. Transferred to Georgia, never really got a chance to run a team for a whole year. I mean, the year before last, his first year, he ended the season on a good note, really having a high offense in Georgia, and then Never really got a chance to take the reins fully this past year um, and then transfer here to West Virginia. I, I think the, the good thing you can look at here, West Virginia, I mean, they'll probably hand them the reins. You don't have a lot of pressure there. Uh, they're going to be decided to have them. Um, wide open offense, and you just hope he can, like, reestablish his career there. Um, Jordan, you got any thoughts on um, JT Daniels? I think it was a good move. I think going if you went to boot, to a bigger school, uh, but, like, a big school day – you know, you could see contending for a championship. I think it would be – I think his career and where he wants to establish it wouldn't really, you know, kick off or go the way he wants it. Um, I think West Virginia is great. I think he's going to have the range to that offense. Um, no stress, really, of winning a national championship. Um, I'm pretty sure West Virginia is going to be unranked going into the year. So, I mean, it'll be hard for him to even – consider winning a national championship this year. So I, I think it, it's, you know, it, it's a great place to finish his next two years of eligibility at, um, try to get higher draft stock, um, show his skills more, uh, more freedom. So I think it's a good, good place 
Yeah. I mean, I will say I'm a big fan of the state of West Virginia. I drive in Fruiter a few times. I'm not really a fan, but hey, I mean, there could be worse places to play, I guess. Um, all right. So that's the, not a lot of news out there, but those are the news that we've currently saw. I did want to also point out that um, ESPN has released their football power index, um, updated their rankings for 2022 coming into the season. So we'll go over that really quick. Um, came in Alabama, no surprise, at number one. Ohio State, number two. Georgia, number three. Clemson, number four. Notre Dame, number five. Texas, number six. Michigan, number seven. Oklahoma, number eight. Pittsburgh at number nine and Auburn rounded out the top 10. So um, let's go around the horn here and see if there's any surprises that, that you had on this first FPI ranking here. So Jordan, any, any major surprises for you? Uh, yeah, I like the Texas um, Clemson being that high. Um, I would say maybe Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma had a down year last year finishing out. So I think that that not being out there, them not being out there, um, but other than that, I think some of the teams hit spot on, um, but some kind of questionable. Yeah, for sure. Uh, about you, Ben, any, any surprises from your perspective? Same ones? Um, yes. I, I'm not going to talk about the people who got left out tonight, but just the four that I thought surprised me a little bit that they got into the top ten. Clemson at number four. We've already talked about their struggles at quarterback but also maybe at offensive line, lots of injuries, and maybe at wide receiver, talent questions. So I, I, I'm not sure that I would put them up at number four. I still think they'll have a good year, not number four. Texas at six, is the talent there? Yes, is the consistency. We haven't seen it in a long time. Um, Pitt, um, yeah, they've got the, uh, the the kid from USC, Dax, uh, Jackson Hart, coming in at, uh, uh, at the quarterback. So that there won't be a huge drop off, but still, uh, put them at number nine. That's, that's quite a steep, uh, steep order there for Pittsburgh to repeat that way. And then Auburn at number 10 it sounds a little high for them as well, me personally. Yeah, you kind of look at it, the same ones as you guys. I mean, I, I think I understand Clemson because they, they have a weak ACC conference, so maybe that makes more sense. Um, but Texas, I mean, have they have they won anything the last few years? I, I just I know this is not like someone doing this, it's the computer, but projections, but. I just, I just don't really see that happening. Pittsburgh, you know, I think they're going to take a dip this year. Auburn with Larson as the coach. Obviously, Peter can't see that, but I don't see them doing well. Um, where some, I think, were left out a little bit. Oklahoma State, you know, potentially could take a step back, but could also, I think, stay where they were last year. Baylor, Utah, all have an opportunity, I think, to be pretty high. Ole Miss. So, you know, obviously, these are our projections, but um, – yeah, I think the main ones to look at the top three are probably going to be the top three all year long. Um, you know, so those are the same three, it seems like, every year. So I don't think there's any surprises there. All right. Uh, let's jump into some of our mailbag questions. Um, so I saw an uh, interesting question about Texas A&M this week. Um, so they signed, you know, we talked about their huge class that they signed and one of the best rate classes of all time, if not the best rate classes. Um, but out of that, as you kind of dive into it, they had eight five-star D-line players signed. When you hear eight five-stars, man, it seems like a super team that's really going to change um, the directory of a team. But then you realize it's all on the D-line. Um, you think this will bite Texas A&M? Because you can't play eight D-linemen at once. And if some of them, you know, they're going to get mad if they're a five-star, they're going to get mad if they don't play right away. So you're, And you probably already have some players that are veterans on the team. So 
I can see half of these group transferring, honestly. I, I just, I don't know. What do you guys think? Is this going to, you know, is this actually ranking not as good as it looks? What, what do you say, Jordan? I think now, I think having the eight five-star D-line players is going to, you know, bite them in 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 ways um, unless they can figure out ways to use these players a lot, uh, you know, just different. Um, uh, add maybe switch players positions to different just to use them differently somehow um, but uh, like you said I feel like there's you know going to be a lot of transfers at least half maybe more from this draft class or this ranking class um, but NIL you don't know how much money they're making to go here so yeah, that's they could the have, thing they might they can only get that money probably if they stay there so you know, maybe they stay for two to three years and then transfer out for last season or something like that to get draft stock. Um, you never know. So, so, but hey, football teams, if you're interested, keep an eye on um, Texas A&M players in the next couple of years. You may get some high-level players that you can get on your football team. Um, speaking of Texas, um, you know, another interesting question I saw was uh, which FBS school in Texas gets to the playoff first? So, obviously, you have um, – Texas, Texas A&M, Baylor, SMU, TCU, probably some other ones out there that I'm not thinking of. Um, so which team do we think out of that group will, will get to the playoff next? Um, I don't think any of them actually made it. So first would be more accurate there. So um, start with you, Jordan. Who do you think, which team of Texas gets there first in the playoff? Um, if it's, it's a hard question because, like, you know, I, I don't see a lot of these teams, uh, you know, being as consistent as you know, you would you see uh, the teams that have been in it lately that have won it. Um, but I could see you know if at least two, in, you know, close like Baylor. I think if Baylor continues with the success they had last year and continues to this year, I can see Baylor probably being that first team to make it to the playoffs. Um, if they continue on the the trend of you know winning, uh, being that strong team finding a quarterback that can be consistent more consistent than it has been i can see them <clears throat> winning it i can also see texas if they can somehow fit, figure out their <clears throat> their you know players and how to progress better and not be so inconsistent i think texas has one of the best running backs and maybe it, it could be the best in some eyes so uh, if they can figure out how to use their players better and um, be more consistent, I could see Texas as well. Ben, what about you, sir? I, I like Jordan's pick with Baylor. If it, if they had anywhere near the talent that Texas A&M had, then I would pick Baylor automatically. But A&M has so much talent everywhere. In, in spite of the fact that they've got the eight fives sitting there on, on the D line, they still have talent everywhere. They're not all five-star. Some of them are poors, but, man, they are loaded, absolutely loaded. Uh, there's no reason that they shouldn't have already been in the Final Four at some point over the past five years. There's no reason they shouldn't be in it at some point over the next year or two. Uh, so I would pick Texas A&M first just because of the you know, astounding volume of talent that's sitting there. But, man, that, that coaching staff is <laughs> – it just leaves you leaves you wanting so much more of the past few seasons. And and Dave Aranda is down there at Baylor, and he doesn't have half the talent that Texas A&M's got. And, boy, they are just punishing, and they're so consistent. They are so efficient, especially on defense. 
Um, they, they figure out ways to win, even if they don't have the quarterback support. And Jordan mentioned it. They don't have the quarterback support. He'll, he'll have a couple of good games each season, and then you'll have three or four games where they throw for less than 100 yards. Um, so they haven't had it. They've continued to find ways to win, even against ranked teams. So, man, I, I, Baylor's got an excellent chance over the next two or three seasons, but they kind of, I think they kind of have to wait till they've got some senior talent there on the team. I, I, maybe that's next year, maybe not. Uh, go, let me go, let me go with Texas A&M for the time being. Good answers. I, you know, I thought about Texas A&M. You know, I can see them doing it if they fire your head coach and bring in someone else. Honestly, I just don't see it happen with Jim. Dave Aranda. <laughs> Dave Aranda or Lane Kiffin came in. I mean, I could see them doing something. If they had somebody that could honestly, if Lane Kiffin came in and took over that offense to go along with that already established defense, I mean, they would be, they would be one of my favorites. But until that happens, I just, I just don't trust Jimbo to find the right quarterback or get the right quarterback there. So I struggle with that pick. Um, I think Baylor would be there. I think, I guess it depends. Uh, if we think it's going to be the next two years, Texas has the best shot. But then once Texas moves to the SEC, I don't see them having a shot for a long time. Um, so I think at that point it would be Baylor because they have a wide open path in the Big 12 that gets the playoff. So I, I would probably stick with Baylor just because I don't trust Texas A&M and I don't trust Texas's coaching. So, um, or I, I guess not the coaching. I like Steve Sharkeesus. He's like a coach for Texas. Just I don't trust their admins there to, to allow them to do the right job they need to do. So I would probably just go with Baylor at this point. All right. Um, so last week we ranked the, the, AC, the SEC jobs in order from best to worst. This week, we're going to rank the ACC jobs in order from best to worst. And this is based on resources, fan base, administration support, uh, facilities, the whole nine yards. So um, let's take it off the top here. So what I'll do is I'll read off my list. We'll go around the horn, read your list. And then we'll go back and kind of examine why we think some of these teams are, are better or worse you know, jobs. So uh, for me, it starts off with Clemson. Um, obviously, you know, Dabo is built up and really built there. They have the he has the admin support. He has the fan base. They've won national championships, so they can win there. So you got to go with them one. It was tough after that. Honestly, I mean, a lot of these teams are just like, ugh, ugly. But I have Florida State, too, just because they re most recently won a national championship. They competed for many years for national championships. I worry a little bit about the fact that the um, they can't seem to find the right coach. And so they've fired so many of them that it's it's going to take a really good uh, patience by the administration, a really good coach to come in and recruit the right players, use the transfer portal, and really build something up. But they have the, they have the bandwidth there. They have the the past that they kind of rely on. So I, I think they have the most chance there. Now, I probably have the most controversial pick in number three, and that's Virginia Tech for me. And that's just because I love I love their stadium. I love their, their fan base. I love their facilities. Um, you know, they have perennial been a really good 10-11 win team in the past. And I think if you get the right coach in there, they can really do a good job recruiting that fertile ground of Virginia and the Carolinas and Atlanta. I think that they can really, I mean, they can really take off. After that, I have Miami, um, who, you know, I struggle with Miami because they, everything's there for Miami, but the, but the facilities are not great. Uh, in the past, administrators have not administrators have not really helped with that. Coaches have had paid for their own facilities, that kind of thing. After that, I have North Carolina, followed by you can name basically you just throw a dart on the board at this point. Louisville, North Carolina State, Pittsburgh, Boston College, Wake Forest, Virginia, Georgia Tech, Duke, and then you wrap it up with Syracuse. So that's my um, 
my list there. So Pastor View Jordan, any um any huge differences there or are pretty similar? Pretty similar. I think I have uh North Carolina above Miami. Um, but other than that, it's it's pretty similar. I think, like you said, once you get past the first two, three teams on in the ACC, it's kind of like throwing darts at a board and you know, oh, that's the next team. Um, I mean, it, it's a really big drop off from Clemson down to anyone else. Um, Clemson has the best facilities. Um, <clears throat> we, we talked about, oh, like a couple months back about the top facilities in college football. And I'm pretty sure Clemson was number one or at least number two. So that right there and their fan base um, is huge. But going down from there, you can toss names and you can throw them. It's going to, it's going to go down to what facilities you like the most. And, you know, if the fan base is going to be the best, like Florida state, like you said, um, last one to really win anything besides Clemson, um, Virginia tech, they packed that stadium. Um, the fans love them. Uh, just city loves It's just, they are a loved football team and, and they're pretty consistent um, wins. So, um, but then I have, you know, North Carolina over Miami, just because North Carolina's facilities are a lot better than Miami's. And I think right now where, um, North Carolina's at in their season or their seasons lately, they've been really consistent. Um, I think they're one step, one position player away, quarterback, a good receiver away from actually, you know, contending a lot more for the ACC. But then going down from there, Louisville, nothing really. Um, NC State, uh, Pittsburgh, Boston College, Wake Forest, Virginia, Georgia Tech, Duke, and Syracuse. Basically, all all can be lumped together in, like, not the best facilities. Um, haven't really had that winning season where, where you would like to go. Um, fan base is not always there for them, so – all right. How about you, Ben? Any um, any differences from the first two lists you heard? Not nothing major. I'll give you my list really quick, and then we can settle in and talk a little bit more about the teams and why why we why we're thinking some of it. I think we all agree Clemson's at the top by a long shot for all the reasons that you guys mentioned. So I've got Clemson clear number one on the bottom end of the conference. For me, there were there were three jobs that are just so hard to win at: um, Duke at the bottom, academics, facilities, support fans, administration, <laughs> uh, recruiting. I, I'm not sure if there is any good thing that helps you win at Duke other than that the expectations are low. So Duke, I've got at the bottom. Georgia Tech, they've got good fan support and decent admin, but but boy, um, the academic restrictions there are just brutal. And and even though they're, not, they're playing on the ACC, it's tough to win there. Wake Forest, it's tough to win there. Facilities aren't huge. They aren't splashy. There's decent support, but again, it's not massive crowds you're playing in front of. It's difficult to get high-level recruits there. You know, you got a three-star, you feel pretty good there at Wake Forest. So those are my three toughest jobs. Then you tilt back towards the top of the group. It's pretty much the same as you guys got. I had a tough time deciding between Miami, Florida State, kind of pair those two together, uh, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, like them. Louisville is a beautiful little place to play. Um, pretty good admin. As long as you don't kill anybody, they'll kind of support you there. Um, you know, lots of good things to love about Louisville. The fan base is good. They're a decent recruiting area right there. So Louisville's in a good spot. 
that's kind of my clusters right there on Clemson at the top. Got those three schools at the bottom. And then, like you guys said, a handful of teams that's really hard to differentiate between. Yep. Um, maybe we take a look at, you know, the fuller list. If there's a, like, job out there that um, maybe has not had a perennial winner, but for some reason, you know, if the right coach came in with a little bit of administration support, do you think, like, could really take off and really, you know, get their way towards the top of this list? Is there any team that sticks out to you guys on, on this list that could potentially do that? Maybe it's a recruiting base that they're in. Maybe it's um, – the fact that maybe, you know, they have fan base support or a big stadium, that kind of thing. So, Jordan, about you? Does any team that sticks out to you on that list, list like, oh, yeah, if I, you know, the right coach came in, this team could really excel at what they're doing today? Um, maybe I, I can see Georgia Tech. Um, if the right coach comes in, they recruit hard out of Georgia, um, win those four or five star recruit or uh, from Georgia, Alabama, you know. Just, you know, winning those recruits, I can see Georgia Tech being a, like a Georgia team. Um, but honestly, out of the teams that haven't won anything, there's not it, – it's hard to see one of them, actually. I can see Louisville, um, but we already saw Lamar Jackson was there and, you know, the way he – how he played. Um, they didn't – after that, they fell off. So, it, to me, there's no job – right now that I would take that I could see myself or a good coach getting and turning the program around. All right. How about you, Ben? I've got three schools and Tony, I, I think you and I already kind of alluded to, to Miami and Florida state being, yeah, they're high paying and yeah, they're in good recruiting areas, but it's tough to win there it's like, uh, for, for different sets of reasons it may not be as good a job as it looks on the outset. So for me, I've got three other schools that I think the expectations aren't super high, but you get the right coach in there. I think they can have a, a lot of fun, you know, going, you know, 10 and two every year or something like that. It's Louisville, it's North Carolina, and it's Virginia Tech. Um, Jordan already mentioned Virginia Tech's massive crowd support. They travel so well to bowl games everywhere. Um, I think Virginia Tech, if they get the right coach back in there, you know, yeah, we're not talking national title, but 10 and two type stuff, compete for the ACC. Same thing for Louisville, beautiful spot. Um, I think the recruiting's good there. And North Carolina has been recruiting good for, you know, 10, 12 years now. They just haven't found a way to put it together uh, development wise. But I, I think any of those three schools would be a lot, a lot of fun to coach at. The expectations aren't massive. And the ACC is right for some team to just move on up in the second, third spot every year. Yeah, those are good. Those all good answers. You I mean, I guess you could probably make the case for any of these if the right coach, right quarterback combination got in there, they might have a chance to build something strong. Because I could see, like you mentioned, Georgia Tech. I mean, they've had Calvin Johnsons of the world at Georgia Tech before, and they've had those 10, 11 win seasons. They've beaten Georgia. So, but it's hard. To, it's hard to get those same players because of the academic restrictions. I mean, you see Vanderbilt struggling with that, Duke struggling with that. It's not um, not easy, for sure. Um, I do like the, you know, I do like Louisville. Louisville is in a nice little area. They could recruit Kentucky. They could also recruit Ohio. They're near Georgia. They're near the Alabama area. I mean, they have a lot of recruiting areas right around them. And if the again, right coach came in there. You saw what they did with Lamar Jackson. But even then. 
how great Lamar Jackson was, he got them nine and three. You know, it wasn't like they were going 11 and one every year with him or anything like that. So it, it still would be tough. Um, you know, I guess the, the team that kind of stuck, stuck out to me is like, okay, this is a team that, you know, might be able to come up and shock people at Syracuse. They haven't won anything in many years. I think uh, Donovan McNabb, when he was there, was the last time they had a kind of winning team. But there, I mean, if they could ever build some new facilities and really start bringing in head coach to recruit that area, New York, New Jersey, the Pennsylvania area, they out in Ohio area, that's a nice, you know, recruiting area. They might be able to do something. But obviously in the current state, it would take a lot to build up Syracuse. But I'm thinking if you're looking at – if you are a young coach, you're looking to build a long-term project to get your get this team to where you want, that might be – They'll have they'll have patience with you, so that might be a good kind of fit to get in there. And if you could build it up in that market, I mean, and that market will take some notice of you, then you, you know, you you'll be able to do some things and do some nil deals in the New York area. There might be some things you could do there. It's an excellent point. We mentioned Rutgers a few weeks ago on the program. How the area is just right for the taking. Um, but it, basically, if you take the upper that upper New York New Jersey area and just sweep all the way over through the Northeast. There's a lot of ground there, a lot of marketing that, that's available for the taking if, if a Rutgers or a Syracuse or somebody else in that area could step up and get it done. So I, I agree just from a, a, an area standpoint. That's an excellent, excellent uh, thought. With that, maybe wrap us up with, like, which team do we feel like is going to make the biggest drop here that's at the top? We mentioned Miami, Florida State. Um, you know, is is are those some of the prime candidates or do we feel like they'll pretty much enrich themselves the top ACC that we don't feel like anybody's going to pass them by Jordan, any thoughts there? Do you think like there's um, any team at the top that might, you know, you know, might be in store for a, a big drop here in the next few years to not being very desirable and kind of falling into the back of ACC. Uh, I don't think so. I think now with, you know, the new NIL and all that, I think the teams are going to, I think it's going to stabilize. I can see Clemson, depending on how if they used more of the transfer portal, like we talked about earlier, um, use NIL more. I can see Clemson stay, dropping if they don't get with the times and get transfers and, you know, the NIL use it more. I can see them dropping in the next couple of years. But other than that, I, I see, I think, I think we're going to see a stable, just same thing. We might see teams jump up. Like we did last few last year with Pitt and Wake Forest, with those just you know miraculous seasons. Yeah. But other than that, I, I don't see any team dropping or even moving where on our list, you know, just in general. Yeah, actually, I, I'm trying to think like you know we we talk a lot about Clemson now. Just think where Clemson was um, the beginning of the 2000s. They were towards the middle to bottom of this, this ACC list. It's crazy how how much they've come. You know have. Florida State, Miami took a little bit of a step back. Um, and some of the other teams like Louisville that was a little higher up there took a step back. So you never know how, what kind of years could do to you. How have you been? Any any candidates to drop here? Florida State for me is the one. And, and I don't mean to be Mr. Negativity on Florida State because five years from now, right guy, right quarterback, uh, you know, maybe they're right back at the top again. Yeah. Florida State is the one that you just don't get the feeling you kind of get a sickening feeling when, when you're looking at their seasons the past few years, the inconsistency, uh, the lack of recruits, say a wide receiver that they used to just rack up 
every single year. It was wide receiver university for 25 years. And they don't get those same guys. They haven't gotten those guys in a while. Same thing on the offensive line. You used to count on every single season, even, even in an eight to four year, Florida State would have top-notch offensive linemen heading to the NFL. That's not really the case anymore. Hasn't been for several seasons. It, those recruits aren't just going to come right back overnight, even if you do get the right guy in. And, and you know, I would be patient with Mike Norvell there as coach and give him time to just stabilize. Them. It feels like the program is going, has been going backwards. Um, and that's not to say Norvell can't X and O, but, man, the, the recruits just haven't been there. And they, they were there for 25 years strong. Yeah. Um, that, that's the one that I really think is in danger of kind of taking a major step back here if they can't stabilize it over the next two or three seasons. Yeah, that's kind of see it too, because I think um, you would have thought of it in Miami, but with Mario Cristobal, and I think like he stabilized it already with recruiting right. transfer portal. They've gotten the players. With Florida State, just I don't have that same feeling. Like, and Mike Norvella was like pretty well regarded coach, so it's I think that's just the bad state Jimbo Fisher left that program in after leaving. Um, you know, which is again the reason I, I just don't trust Texas A and M just because of him. So, um, but yeah, no, so it's interesting. So we'll you know, watch ACC this year, see if um, how this holds up as far as jobs goes. And we'll be kind of doing a series throughout the next few weeks, talking about the different conferences. So we look forward to that. Uh, so with that, that wraps up every bit of news and mailbag questions we have for this week, guys. We will talk to you next week. Bye.